0: Can you help me turn these fans around for these wonderful, warm people? And also, if you're kind of warm, I just tested out the land there, and I was sitting about the sixth row, there's an empty spot, and it was really comfortable. I could feel the fans and everything. So the closer you are to the front, the more you're going to feel the fans. Okay, because when we finish up around midnight, you'll be glad you sat there in front of the fans. Uh, I was just warning you, I need my little stool. It's my own personal water holder. I need to start remembering that from now on. Let me add one more thing about our Unite conference. We will not be having a rock service next Friday because this conference takes the place of the services, of all the evergreen services and of the rock. So there will be no service next Friday. We'll all be up at Bethel Saturday night. What time should you get there? All right, great. So go out and meet with your friends or something beforehand, okay? Like meet around three o'clock so you have some good food, a lot of laughter, get yourself ready to go, and then come on up there to Bethel, and we're gonna have a great weekend. I promise it'll be it'll be very touching, very encouraging time together. Um I want to open up tonight and share something with you that I've not uh maybe I've not shared well before or communicated to you. I was down in Northfield this afternoon, from three thirty to five thirty, sharing with parents of teenagers, and um, so they asked me if I'd come down <clears throat> and uh, talk about raising teens, and particularly <clears throat> how to keep their heart, how to raise them for Christ, etc. And I shared something with them today that I wanted to share with you before I get into tonight's topic. It might help you understand why I communicate what I do or the way I do. Um, I thought it would be helpful. Proverbs chapter 4. If you follow them, he said, you will have a long and happy life. Learn to be wise and develop good judgment and common sense. I cannot overemphasize this point. Cling to wisdom, she will protect you, love her, she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do, and with wisdom, develop common sense and good judgment. <clears throat> so there's something I want to explain to you. Sometimes people have come here over the years, I, I've had this kind of comment, and in the same mark, how come you just don't share only the Bible, just a verse, just a command, etc., etc. And I want to explain that <clears throat> giving maybe a little bit different perspective because I believe in the Bible and everything we share here is bible based it's based on principles or truths revealed in the Bible Often in life <clears throat> today I was speaking often in parenting it's the choices that you make based on the application and the implication of wisdom principles in the Bible not just exact commands that make or break you. It is the insights that you extrapolate from the Word of God and apply situationally to life's realities. The whole book of Proverbs is devoted to getting wisdom. Ask yourself this question. Not, is something just right or wrong, but is it wise? Is it the wisest? Is it foolish, is it risky, and is it worth the risk? These are very, very important questions, and something that you're going to learn if you haven't already, if you've come here for a while. Sometimes people say, well, Mark, you're opinionated. The only question I want to ask you is, do my opinions make sense, and are they Bible-based? Now, you have the freedom to arrive at different conclusions on some things. Many times, I will go over exact commands... But there's much about parenting, there's much about life, that you can't just open the Bible and go, oh, there's point A, there's point B, there's point C. And if I do one, two, three, four, five, there's the formula. No. God wants you to get wisdom. God wants you to long for wisdom. God wants you to cry out for wisdom for the realities that you and I face in our lives. And God promises to give us insights To life that you won't find just written in black and white. So I was sharing an example today. Just just give you an example. In Proverbs chapter 27. I'm going to read it to you. Before we get into this topic. Alright. Proverbs chapter 27. We find this verse. Know the state of your flocks. And put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches will not last forever. And they may not pass to the next generation. After the hay is harvested, the new crop appears. The mountain grasses are gathered in. Your sheep will provide wool for clothing. And your goats will be sold for the price of a field. And you will have enough goat's milk for you, your family, and your servants. Now, contextually, if you read that in context, you may think to yourself, Well... That doesn't apply to me. Because I don't have sheep. And I don't have goats. And I don't farm. And in context, it's talking about raising sheep. I don't care about raising sheep. I care about the sheep that are the people of God. And I care about the little flock that God gave me. So what I extrapolate from that is, Mark, you get your A-game on. You know thoroughly Each one of your children, you watch over them, Mark. What's going on in their heart? What's going on in their mind? Who are their friends? What decisions are they making? Guide them. Lead them beside still waters. Let your rod and staff comfort them. How much of the Bible is about sheep? Psalm 23. Jesus said, we are His sheep. And He calls us by name. So if I only applied that to exactly what it's talking about, well, guess what? I'm not a sheep guy. I don't have sheep, and I don't have goats, and I don't live on a farm. So, I guess that doesn't apply to me. Wisdom takes the intent and the concept, and it realizes that, wow, if I don't watch over carefully my little flock, there is no guarantee that the riches of faith that Kathy and I have enjoyed will automatically be passed down to them, unless I put my heart and my soul into caring for them. That is the essence of godly parenting. But of course, it is not talking about godly parenting. I don't care. What I care about is what can God's Word teach me about every single reality of my life. That's wisdom. And the Bible says this, The book of Proverbs is longer than any single New Testament book. Except maybe Matthew. The book of Proverbs tells us wisdom is supreme. Get wisdom, get good judgment, get common sense. And I see people all the time, I'm going to tell you this right now, just gut level honest. I see people all the time that study the Bible, they go to Bible study fellowship, they listen to Beth Moore, they know their Bible backwards and forwards, but they're dumb as a barn. They have no real world wisdom. Give you another example. The book of Corinthians says, bad company corrupts good morals. Do not be deceived. Well, you know what the context is? The context is some people are saying the resurrection doesn't happen. And Paul said, look, if you hang around people who say the resurrection doesn't happen, that bad company is going to corrupt your good beliefs. Well, I don't hang around people who say the resurrection isn't going to happen. So what does that verse mean to me? I'll tell you what that verse means to me. That verse says, wake up, Mark. Get your head on straight because who your children choose for friends can take all the good that you do and corrode them and corrupt them and destroy what you did. You make sure that you teach them how to how to surround themselves with good friends and you make sure that if they're bad friends, chase them off. Chase them off tell you something really interesting, my friends. Have you ever studied the book of Proverbs? I want you this week, on your own, you can go back to our little tape table back there if you want and get one of these living Proverbs. And you go through here and look at the description of a wise person and then look at the description of a fool. You do not want to be the friends of a fool. You do not want to have friendships with fools. And you'd be amazed... And how many people have friends that are fools? I'm not talking about just your average run-of-the-mill person who doesn't believe in the Lord. You're trying to win them to Christ. I'm talking about people who've taken in to their intimate companionship fools. So tonight, what I want to talk to you about is living strategically. Living your life strategically. And we're going to look at some clear Bible insights. And we're going to extrapolate from those principles, ideas, concepts, practical applications of how it looks to live strategically, to live your life from a strategic perspective instead of what so many people live, just kind of randomly. They're just kind of all over the board, all over the place. So many Christians, they just kind of hop from here to there. There's no rhyme or reason to what they do. They sometimes have their quiet time. They sometimes don't. They sometimes pray. They sometimes don't. They go to a party here. They go to a thing there. They hang out at this concert there. They hop to this church over there. They go over here. They're just kind of flitting around. They want a little adventure there, a little adventure there, and they're not living their life strategically and they're wasting it. The Bible says in John 17, I'd like to read you a very profound verse in John chapter 17 in verse 4. John chapter 17 in verse 4 is actually, for those of you who want to be biblically correct, is actually the Lord's Prayer. The other prayer that everyone says is the Lord's Prayer is the disciples' prayer. This is the longest, And primarily only recorded prayer of Jesus other than when he raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you show and open the eyes of the simple and thank you for this food, blah, blah, blah. This is actually a long recorded prayer. And in John chapter 17 and verse 4, Jesus says this to God in front of his disciples who were there listening to him pray. I have brought you glory. I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you have given me to do. And there's a lot of people today that talk about the glory of God. We're here for the glory of God. The glory of God. They never put any meat on the bones. Let me tell you what it means to live for the glory of God. It means that you do what the Bible tells you to do. Jesus said, I have brought you glory... By doing what you sent me here to do. By staying on mission, staying on task, living strategically, and accomplishing what you gave me to do. Now, I'm going to examine just real briefly here for a moment what God gave Jesus to do, what He revealed to us that He came to do. First of all, Jesus came to validate His deity. The fact that he was God, that he was the Messiah, he did that through miraculous signs and wonders and miracles. Second of all, these are not necessarily in order. I'm just trying to help you understand what Jesus came to do. He came to die on the cross as a payment for our sin and raise from the dead and conquer death so that all who believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. That happened, of course, at the very end of his life. Third, he came and shared in our humanity. He was born of a virgin. He had humanity like we had. And the Bible says in Hebrews that he is an empathetic, sympathetic high priest who was tempted in every way as we are, but he never sinned. He never crossed the line like we do. And he understands us. And we can go to him boldly and find grace and mercy to help, time and need. He came to do that. But what we see Jesus doing primarily during His earthly ministry for those three years is He spoke into, invested into very strategic relationships so that when He left, the propagation of the gospel and the mission of the church would be accomplished. And he kept a laser light focus on that. You don't see Jesus off of his little hobbies here. Jesus with his little hobbies there. You don't see Jesus wasting valuable time. You see Jesus very focused. In fact, there were even people who came to Jesus who wanted to follow him. And he told them, no, I'm sorry. Go back home. Did you know that the Bible tells us in the gospels. That Jesus, knowing the heart of every man, did not entrust himself to men. He was very cautious in friendship. Did you know that it was only after Jesus spent a night and a day in prayer on the mountain that he came down from the mountain and chose the twelve that he would bring into his inner circle to be with him, to invest in them, to teach them? to preach, to grow their faith, to help them develop so that when he left, the church would be established. The gospel would begin to spread around that part of the world and eventually to the uttermost parts of the world. And that the church, God's body, Christ's body, would be established on the planet. Now, of course, Jesus also said he came to preach and to teach, to share God's truth, to reveal truth. The Bible reveals much truth. Jesus revealed some of that truth. Jesus revealed to us the nature of God, the love of God, the generosity of God. He embodied God. He was God. He's the very essence of God. We know God because we know Jesus. The Apostle Paul was the very same way. The Apostle Paul actually... is as well-known to our New Testament, in many ways, as Jesus. They're different, and obviously the four Gospels have a lot to tell us about Jesus, a lot about the disciples, a lot about what he taught. Almost the rest of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 20, we find this. Paul states, But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. So you see here again, Paul saying almost with Jesus, my life is worth nothing unless I bring glory to God. And the way in which I bring glory to God is to finish the task that God gave me to do. To testify as long as I'm in this body (coughs) to the good news of Jesus Christ But of course, if you read the gospel, or excuse me, if you read the epistles, which are, means simply letters, you find that Paul was about much more than that. Paul was establishing churches. Paul was raising up pastors. Paul was developing mature believers. Paul was speaking into lives. Paul was trying to change lives and help Christians grow up in Christ. He was a Sikh, striving in these cities throughout the ancient Roman world, especially along the coast to establish Christian community love where Christ could be seen in those believers lives and he taught slaves and husbands and wives and children and single men and women how we ought to live on a day to day basis and why we are to be lights to the world and why we are to make Christ attractive by the way we live And carry on our lives. He taught us how to work. There was much laziness throughout the early church. Throughout the early ancient world. Just like there is today. And he commanded us to work with all our heart. He commanded everything we do to do it for the glory of God. So it would be a good reflection on God. And he talks to us about our work habits. Everything matters to God. The way that we do it. The way that we do it. The way that we live. It matters to God. So we see that Paul, if you study his life, he lived very, very strategically. All their choices and their lifestyle revolved around their life's mission. I want to ask you the question, have you ever even thought about that? Do your choices, where you live, who you live with, who you join your life up with, what your life is about, do your life choices... And your lifestyle, are they all strategically thought through in light of what is my mission? My God-given mission to share Christ, to reflect Christ, to share Him with others, and to see disciples raised up who will obey the Word of God. Mature Christians. Am I teamed up loving other believers? How have you organized your life? So many Christians are living haphazard, thoughtless, aimless lives. And Paul would simply have none of this. We are to live our lives strategically planned around our mission. The Apostle Paul lived strategically, not haphazardly or aimlessly, just doing whatever he felt like doing. I'd like to illustrate this to you from a couple passages in the Bible. The first is found... In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Some of you may be familiar with this, but again, I'd like to um, go over this with you. Paul's writing, and he's expressing to the Corinthian church. He says this, When I am with the Jews, I become one of them so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same, even though I'm not subject to the law, so I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, I gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. But I do not discard the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are oppressed, I share their oppression, so I might bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, so I might bring them to Christ. I do all this to spread the good news, and in doing so, I enjoy its blessing. Remember, remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. You must run in such a way that you want to win, that you will win. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will not fade away. We do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer just beating the air punching aimlessly. I discipline my body like an athlete. I train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And then I'm going to read in chapter 10, he goes on to say, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do all for the glory of God. That's just a fancy way of saying, you must do all to make Christ attractive. Be a good reflection on God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the Church of God. That's the plan I follow too. I try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what I like or what's best for me, but what is best for them. Why? So they may be saved. And you should follow my example just as I follow Christ. Now for you ultra-Calvinists that are among us here today, Calvinists are people who believe that everything, absolutely everything, is predetermined. That every person's choice is already made for them. If it's already made for them, you have to ask yourself the question, then why is Paul even worried about finding common ground? Why is Paul trying to please other people? Why would he even try to win them to Christ? If I can make no difference whatsoever, if my life and the way I live and the way I speak and the way I interact with people and the way I love them cannot possibly have any good influence upon them because they've already been predetermined, robotically designed by God to do whatever he said. And why in the heck does he write this? And why does he tell us to run like an athlete and beat our body and buffet our body? Because you and I make a difference in the way we live. The way we live, the way we carry on our lives, the way we interact with our family members. Now, the other extreme is to go and say, Oh my gosh, if I don't do everything just perfect, people are going to go to hell. No, that's not true. There's a balance between those two points called the biblical perspective. Yes, God is sovereign over all things. And God has predetermined that He would give man His choice. <coughs> and at the same time, God has the power and the wisdom to bring nations to a culmination and raise up one leader and put down another to serve His purposes. He's been doing it since the dawn of time and He continues to do it today. But from a very, very, very personal perspective, you and I have been given this insight from God that we ought to live our lives Strategically. That we ought to think through everything we do in light of our mission and what we're doing. And this has been the guiding principle of my life for 35 years. I am not saying I am perfect. I am saying this is what I've been going after. This is what has helped me make the decisions that I did. This is why I moved to Minneapolis. This is why I married the woman that I married. I didn't just marry Kathy because one day I was going along my life and I just saw this gorgeous babe and I thought, Oh, like Samson, I want her, get her for me. No, 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 no. i given those desires to God a long time ago. I said, hey, you know what, God, this whole girl thing, this whole woman thing, it's your call. Just like it was your call with Adam. Adam wasn't moping around the garden going, oh, geez, God, I'm just so lonely. I need a woman. Just bring me one. Adam was doing the things God wanted him to do. God saw his need. <clears throat> now, of course, we're post-Adam. We're after Adam. We're surrounded by women. If you're a young man or an old man. <laughs> and so it's a little hard sometimes not to pay attention to him. So we've got to get this area right with God. We've got to get into some sort of perspective. So I realized that, okay, Lord, here's the bottom line. A woman can make you or break you. They can make you or break you. They can bless you or they can be the bane of your existence. The Bible shows us that. Of course, girls, men can do the same with you. Girls, the wife God brings to me can either be a woman who passionately follows the Lord Jesus with me or moans and groans and whines all the time and wants the things of this world and takes me off my trajectory towards God. God. Towards his mission. Towards his purposes. And I am not about to let that happen as a young man. So I said to God, I got on my face before God. And I said, God, alright, I'll tell you what, we need to settle this, me and you. I'm just, I'm taking this right now. The, the woman you want me to marry, it's your call. It's your call, not mine. I'm not dating anymore. I'm not playing this stupid game anymore. I'm not going to play around with my heart or anyone else's heart. Here's what I'm asking. If you want me to get married, when you want me to get married, that's in your plan. I'm asking you to give me a woman who loves Christ as much as I do and loves you more than she loves me. I'm asking you to give me a woman who's willing to go anywhere and serve Jesus Christ the rest of her life and has a heart that's 100% for God. You know what, Lord? Oh, that's it. You know what, Lord? I'm going to leave the body type, the hair type, the eye color. That's all up to you. You know my heart. You know my You know what's best for me. And now, Lord, I don't want this getting in the way of my walk with you. And I'm putting this over here. I trust you. You're my banker. These are my desires. Bring this about in your time. And off and running I went. My values, those principles, they determined my decisions and my choices. And boy, did God give me an extraordinary woman. And God gave me a woman who fit every one of those prayer requests and who for 31 years has been by my side allowing me to serve Jesus Christ realizing this, that I wasn't hers, but I was God's and she was going to have to share me with others and with the world. And when women call up on the phone for counsel, no matter who they were or what they looked like, you couldn't have Kathy over in the corner, jealous, because I'm on the phone trying to help the female body of Christ. I don't meet with women alone. I don't have lunch with women alone. I don't meet with women alone. Talk to them on the phone. But I talk to them. And I've helped many of them. My wife is not over in a corner somewhere crying her eyes out. Because she realizes Mark is God's servant, and I'm God's servant, serving him, teamed up with him. She understood, as we had children, that her primary focus is raising those children for Jesus Christ. Not only for Christ, but so that our lives could be a model, a pattern, a pioneer, if you would. A pathmaker for others who could see what it looked like, tasted like, what it was like to see it actually happen. And we took that responsibility very sacredly with a tremendous sense of fear and awe that it was our responsibility to set an example for other people. The way in which my wife and I live, where we chose to live, whether we had this, that, or the other thing, I just have, by the grace of God, a very content woman. Very content woman. You don't want a woman, guys, that's attached to the things of this world. You don't want a woman who's constantly, Oh, we're going to get a new couch. And uh, we're going to get a new fridge. And uh, I, want, I, want, I want the deck to be twice as big as it is. And and uh, can you remodel the bathroom? And, and and every other year, every other, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying every girl's like this. I'm saying there are a lot that are, that are into the nice things of this life. The nice things of this life will own you. They will take your time, they will take your money, and you'll have to work, work, work. And all you'll have to show when your life is over is the stuff that moth and rust and dust collect and steal, kill and destroy. I am not saying you shouldn't have a house, you shouldn't have a bathtub, you shouldn't have a shower, you can't have a nice bed and a new bedspread and all. I'm just saying that my wife understood our purpose. I understood our purpose. Everything that I did, I didn't fill my life when we were planting the evergreen churches. I used to lead the music. I used to sing the specials. I used to do the announcements. Then i come out and share. I did the college group. I did renew group. I started our singles group. Started stuff for single moms. And I raised a family. I didn't worry if I got to sail, if I got to ride a motorcycle, if I went horseback riding, if I ever got to the mountains, if I took a vacation. The Bible says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Jesus said, night is coming when no man can work. Work while it's still today and store for yourself treasure in heaven. When I took vacations... I took them to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where I was invited to share with college students and young high school students, and I would bring my family. Here's the choice. They, well, they didn't really give me a choice. They originally said, Mark, how about we just fly out for two weeks, and uh, you come out here and share. <clears throat> okay, now, let me tell you a couple things I could have done. Let me tell you a little bit about Myrtle Beach, but if you know me well enough, you know I wouldn't have done this. There's golf courses everywhere. Okay. So so I could have thought like this. I could have said, well, I'm going out to do the Lord's work. And um, gee whiz, I think I'll fly out there because I sure don't want to drive 1,500 miles one way. And I think I'll take some golf clubs. And I think, you know, I'll teach a couple hours every day. And then I'll just hit the golf course, eat at some nice restaurants and have some me time. No, that wasn't what I did. I said, hey, guys, I got a question. I said, you invited me out to speak. I'd love to come. I'd like to ask you a favor. You've got to put me up in like some kind of room anyway, right? Or they go, well, yeah, we have these like plantation resorts. They're kind of like these condo houses. I said, all right, here's what I'd like to do. You don't have to pay me nothing. All I ask is reimburse my expenses. I want to drive out, reimburse me for gas and mileage. I'm going to bring my family with me for the two weeks. And I'm going to use it as a working vacation. Is that okay? Sure. They said, that'd be great. I did that for years, years, sometimes, a couple of times, I drove all the way to Myrtle Beach, 1,500 miles. A week later, I drove 1,500 miles back, stayed one day in our house with the kids and Kathy, loaded back up, drove 1,000 miles to the mountains, Estes Park, Colorado, and shared a week LT in that, and then came home. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because I wanted my children to be exposed to seeing their dad serving Jesus Christ and loving it and seeing young people who were excited about the things of God. And then, after the morning session, and you know what's really interesting? My kids, almost every year, except when they were very, very little, they go, I'd go, you know, you guys can go with Mom to the beach. Just drop me off here at the church. I'll share a couple hours, and I can get a ride and meet you guys later. Oh, no, Dad, no. We want to come and sit and listen to you. And so I was speaking into their lives. And then we'd go. And I'll tell you, it had a profound impact on a lot of those L-Tiers, we call them, and college L-Tiers. Many of them have written me over the years or come up to me now. They have families of their own saying, Mark, it was so profound for us to see you and your wife and those four children. Loving Christ, serving Christ together as a family. That's what my life is about. That's what my life is still about to this day. That's what it's about. Serving Christ. I was visiting with my daughter Celestia the other day and... She, was, she said to me, Dad, you know, we're headed down to Fort Snelling. And I said, you are? She goes, yeah, she says, Dad, I have so many memories from Fort Snelling. She said, I was telling John, we used to spend our summers, so much time down at Fort Snelling. Some of this I'd kind of forgotten. And she said, oh, don't you remember, Dad? You, you, we'd load up the bikes, and we'd load up all the swimming gear, and you'd come down with Mom and all of us kids. We'd park the van... And you drop us off at the beach, and then you tell us, now I'm going to go do a little Bible study back on the other side of the park and spend some time praying, and then when I'm done, I'll come and join you. It was a great example for my children. I'm not saying, I don't want anyone to walk away here thinking, gee, Wizbart, do you think it's okay to take a vacation hang out with your family all the time? Sure, I do. But I lived with them <laughs> all the time. That's fine to do. I'm just trying to help you understand that everything that I did was for a strategic reason to implant Christ, to exemplify Christ, to show that their dad lived for something greater and their mom lived for something greater and their mom, I mean, Kathy made sacrifices that very few gals are willing to make. She made sacrifices. She didn't have me around a lot of the time. She was strong, strong in the Lord. Even though she struggled with health things, she kept her eyes on the Lord. She understood what our life was about. Pretty soon, listen, young person, listen to me. Pretty soon, your life's going to be over. Jesus might come back tomorrow. He might come back next year. Maybe await 10 years. Maybe await 50. But you only got about 50 or 60 more years anyway. And it's going to fly by, snap up a finger, it's going to be gone. Are you going to live strategically? Are you going to live based on the principles of the Word of God? The book of Proverbs tells us, um, I, wisdom, will make the hours of your day more fruitful, the years of your life more profitable. Psalm 90 tells us, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. Another version says, teach us, Lord, to use our time wisely. Your time is your life. It is your lifeblood. Life. It's the most valuable possession that you have. What are you doing with it? How are you using it? The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3-5, through 5, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, join with me. Endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life that he might please his commanding officer. I know so many soldiers. See, you didn't know this. You're God's sheep. (laughs) You're Christ's body. You're Jesus' bride. You're God's children. You're God's holy nation you are God's army you are a soldier whether you like it or not you are God's soldier you know what his command us is don't get entangled all knotted up in the affairs of everyday life remember your focus Are we to have jobs? Absolutely. The Bible teaches us to have jobs. Is vocations okay? The Bible teaches us to have vocations. But we must always remember that our true vocation is living as a servant of God. So whether you are a a 50-hour-a-week salesman, a a 40-hour-a-week nurse, a a 70-hour-a-week doctor, whatever it is you do, if you know Jesus Christ, you are to live passionately for eternal things. You are to live for the mission that God has given us within the realm of your day-to-day life, connected with a local church of other Christians who are pursuing the same thing. Now, I don't have time to get into other ways, but I do want to touch on one other thing before we go this evening. Trust me, if I can do this with no fans, you'll make it. Just hang in there, okay? The last thing I want to talk to you is about our relationships. Our relationships. Relationships take time. Whether you have a relationship, you're building a friendship with a non-Christian who your desire is to befriend them, to find common ground with them, and to share Jesus Christ with them. Or whether you're involved with Christians, or whether you're involved with your family, extended family, and I want to talk about this for just a moment. This is very important. You and I only have a certain amount of time. And we need to use that time... Strategically to fit in with what we're trying to do. With what God is trying to do. Do you remember when Jesus said this? Jesus is speaking to a large crowd of people. <coughs> Someone runs up with a little note. <coughs> and the note says, Jesus, your mother's standing out here and she wants to talk to you. Now, <coughs> you know <coughs> how one particular domination thinks about the Mother Mary. So, I want you to imagine all of them reading this. Mother Mary is standing outside, and she sends a messenger. And the messenger says, Your mother's out here, she wants to see you. And Jesus, in front of his mother, looks at the crowd, including his mother, and says, Who is my mother? Who is my father? Who is my real family? Those who do the will of God. They are my mother my brothers my family now I've got to tell you the Blessed Virgin probably thought long and hard about that statement we don't know exactly how that went over with Mary but I can tell you how it goes over with a lot of people today they just ignore it they just ignore it you need to evaluate where you're investing your life you need to ask yourself am I living with the focus that Jesus lived with <clears throat> am I discipling other people Now, we need to give proper honor to our fathers and mothers. (coughs) We need to give honor. We need to give respect. I'll tell you right now, I'm extremely cautious with who my closest friends are. I'm extremely careful with who gets my time and who I invest my life in because I expect there to be a return on that investment. (coughs) Just because a person is a Christian doesn't mean they're living for the same purpose as you are, or more importantly, the purposes that God asks us to do. And we've got a lot of Christians today throughout America, young people in particular. They kind of hop from this concert to that concert. They kind of have this group of friends, that group of friends. They're living their life, to be honest, for good, clean Christian fun. And that isn't what it's about. It isn't about fun. Is there fun? Have I had fun? Sure. Have I experienced the blessings of the gospel? Absolutely. Am I living for fun? No, sir. These are life and death issues. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, and most of your friends are going to hell, literally. They need Jesus Christ. They need the testimony that you are. They need a message that you have to share. The people that you work with on a daily basis, most of them around you, do not know Jesus Christ. You and I have been given a mission from God. And we want to be very focused in that mission. We want to be very strategic. We want to plan very diligently. We want to be very thoughtful in what we do and why we do it. And how we use our resources and our time and our money and our relationships. Or, you may get to the middle of your life. You may get five years from now in your life. And I challenge you to do this. I challenge you to look back on the last year of your life. The last five years of your life. And ask yourself, well... What have I done with it? Now, I'm not saying... A lot of you got wonderful things to show for it. You've grown in your faith. You've persevered through hard things. We can't always control the fruit of our lives. But we want to ask ourselves, Was I living strategically? Was I thinking through? Was I praying over people's lives? Was I striving to make a difference? And I'll end with this thought. You know, I don't know if I've shared this publicly. I have at a meeting that wasn't taped. So tonight it'll, be, it'll end up being taped. There are people who, over the years at the Rock, they've come and then they go. And that's fine. I mean, God leads some people to other wonderful churches that are serving Christ. I have a list at home. Of almost all the names of the people I've known that have left over the last 11 years. Many of them I have written beside the name of the churches they're now going to. Many others I have the choice they made and the sin that tangled them up. And for many of them it's still bound up their life. When people leave the rock and they go to another church, I've had this happen many times ago, I go to another church, here's what often happens. They'll say, well I'm going to go to another church but I want to keep all my friends here. Let me tell you how mistaken that mindset is. What is the church? Anybody want to tell me what is the church? What is the church? The people. Thank you. Jefferson is not the church. The urban building in the church. You are the church. So when a person leaves you, they left the church... And they're now going to another church, that is, another group of people. Now, if I continue having the same relationship with them, there's a couple things that happen. I keep them from being forced to build new relationships in the church they said they wanted to go to. And number two, I'm forgetting that I have a team right here. With a lot of people sitting in this room that need my friendship that don't have it. And I can't be 20 places at one time. The person who thinks strategically, listen, have you ever looked at Jesus' life? Jesus gave himself to 11. Mark, what about the rest of the world? How Jesus knew they were all going to hell? He's the Messiah. How come he wasn't running every day like he jogged from city to city and he preached here because they're going to hell. And then he jogs in the next city and he preached there. How come, in fact, he didn't use supernatural powers and just kind of morph from one city to another because he was so passionate to get the gospel out? Because Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was building into a trusted few. Make sure that you're investing wisely in your relationships. Make sure that your relationships have a purpose that is godly. Make sure that your relationships have a purpose that is mission-oriented. Make sure that you're uniting your life with people who are going in the same direction, pursuing passionately Jesus Christ to obey His Word. Be very careful because I want to tell you a little, little secret. When the Bible describes a fool, it isn't just talking about unbelievers. Some of the most dangerous fools in the world are Christians. Christians, they know Jesus, but they're living very foolish lives. And foolishness is contagious. The companion of fools suffers harm. But he who walks with wise men, she who walks with wise men and women, will be wise. Choose very carefully and prayerfully. The relationships that you invest in. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, God, for the insight of the word of God. And we ask you, Lord, that you'd help us. God, help us. There's a world that's lost. And especially, Lord, you know, as, as a church, we're focusing on this young generation. The vast majority of them, 96% of them, do not live from a Bible-based perspective. They don't go to church. Multitudes of them do not know Christ. Oh God, we ask You that You would help us to live, to reach them, to build them, to win them. And then, Lord, we think about the generation of little children that are being born here. That You'd use us to serve them, to influence them, that we would be like their godly aunts and uncles who are showing Christ to them and demonstrating A life lived surrendered to God. In Jesus name, amen.